running Children's Church, so they will be well-behaved today and well-educated. I am not. Um, everyone else, we are going to uh, pray in preparation for the preaching of the Word this morning. And uh, let's, uh, especially folks, as we pray this morning, uh, pray for me. This is the last installment of this household code section, and it's kind of, it's all delicate. And I'm trying to trying to be faithful to the text and, and you know, pray for me to to be uh, to be kind of on that. Um, so let's uh, go to God together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, be with me and just, Lord, I pray that you would help me to preach your word uh, faithfully, that, that this would be um, um, what your scriptures have to say, what what uh, what your spirit means to communicate to us, that that I wouldn't uh, get in the way of that. I wouldn't bring some sort of external agenda to it, Lord, but rather that I would uh, I would share the gospel faithfully. Um, I pray that everything we talk about today would be all about Jesus and and that that we as a as a congregation, we as we as the body of Christ in this community, Lord, that that we would uh, turn our eyes toward Jesus collectively this morning. And I pray that folks who are here today who who don't, um, I pray that the folks who are here that their hearts would be uh, just fertile soil, Lord, that the the seed of your word would would find a place to take root, and that it would be watered by your Spirit and it would grow into a great harvest. And and I pray, Lord, that that um, you know wherever there's ground that needs to be tilled or broken up or whatever, Lord, that you would do that. Um, in Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Amen. So, um, my children. Eric talks about his children every week. That's right. Um, my children are uh, five and eight. Okay, Titus, my five-year-old, and Abigail, my eight-year-old. Um, we weighed them a few months ago, and we discovered that they weigh exactly the same. Abby is about a foot taller than Titus, and yet for some reason they weigh roughly the same. Um, and I think that's something to do with Titus gets up in the morning. The first thing he says is, "Can I have breakfast?" And then we come to work about an hour and a half later, and he says, can I have some breakfast? And I feed him again. And then mid-morning, he comes back into my office, and he says, Dad, I'm hungry. Can I eat lunch? All right. And lunchtime, he comes back, and he says, Dad, can I have another lunch? And, and generally, like, there's a time of day when he doesn't eat, and that's generally between about 7 o'clock at night and about 5 o'clock in the morning. Um, but the bigger difference between Titus and Abigail are, anybody know what it is? Titus is a boy, right? Because Titus is a boy, he has, um, he has a natural inclination to be physically larger, right? And that's testosterone at work. Um, and as we dive into our text today, um, part of what we need to keep in mind is Peter, this is a passage that's been misused some in the history of the church, right? Um, And part of what Peter is talking about here is taking into account the fact that men tend to be bigger and stronger, right? I mean, we just are. And it is the case that because we're bigger and stronger, we can sometimes get our way, or most of the time. I think it's most of the time. Um, And so as we dive into this, this is kind of some of the context here. We'll, we'll dig in and I'll explain as we go, but be aware, like this is, because this is a passage that is often misused, it's important to unpack this element up front. Um, we're at the, 
and the very last installment of Peter's Household Code. We're preaching through the book of Peter. We're going to take a hiatus after this week to do some Easter stuff, or Good Friday and Easter stuff. And then afterwards, we're going to come all the way back to Peter, and we're going to finish up the book. Um, This section is a household code. This is a very common thing in the ancient world. Um, And what that is, what it was, was it was a a thing that you would memorize, which gave everybody's expectations and rules. It was a genre of literature. There are hundreds of examples um, amongst pagan writers and then a handful amongst Christian writers. And Peter gives us a very different take on this genre. And and we've been working through it. We did uh, um, obedience to authority like the government, uh, which was a very fun sermon. We did Slaves and Masters, which was equally fun. Last week we did Wives to Husbands, also fun. And by fun I mean really difficult and really delicate and a very thorny passage in every instance because they've often been misused and misinterpreted and and whatnot. Now we get to the husband section. In the ancient world, uh, husbands had a great deal of authority. Peter's likely audience is in Asia, Asia Minor, which is sort of up there like where, um, like Turkey and up into Mesopotamia, this kind of region, right? And women had a lot of rights at that time in that part of the world, actually more so than, than in Israel in the first century, although less so than in Rome in the first century. Kind of an interesting thing. Ultimately, Asia Minor uh, adopted a lot of the Roman standards, uh, but that hadn't been the case by this point. Husbands ran the house. In the ancient world, if you were a husband and you decided, hey, we're going to go to, we're going to become Zoroastrian, everybody became Zoroastrian. Got it? You decided we're going to become Christians, everybody became Christians. And actually, you see that in the book of Acts, like Paul converts a, a jailer and the whole family becomes Christians, right? And it's not because the whole family heard the gospel, it's because in the ancient world, dad said it, it happened, right? And that was it. Um, we have a bit of a different uh, cultural uh, setting here, and that's, you know, but like, like this culture here, this ancient perspective is going to influence the text some, and we'll come to that in a second as well. Um, a lot of the folks who are receiving this letter are early converts, lots of women, lots of slaves, lots of poor people. Got it? Um, and in fact, actually, the majority of the recipients of this letter were probably people who didn't have a whole lot of money. Um, and people who are out of position of authority. And actually, some of them were probably persecuted uh, because of their faith and as a result lost authority or lost social standing. And so Peter addresses a lot of his household code to people who had almost no like social standing. Again, he says over and over again, hey, whatever situation you're in, whatever position you find yourself in, wherever you go, whatever you do, understand you are Jesus's representative there, right? And so as it related to government, we talked about you are Jesus' representative in those settings. So if Caesar says do something, you obey Christ first, but you obey in a manner that reflects the fact that you're a follower of Jesus. And that's like kind of how Peter runs this through in his his thing, Um, in his household code. We, We see where slaves are told, hey, If you can become free, this is Paul says, if you can become free, become free. Otherwise, act like a representative of Christ. Reflect Christ in your attitude, in your heart, in the way you do your work, in everything. Do it. Uh, Wives. A lot of wives would convert and their husbands wouldn't, which was considered to be a huge act of rebellion. Um, And he says to wives, don't, don't infuriate your husband by becoming hugely rebellious. Act like Christ. 
Like, understand that he is going to see Christ in your behavior and reflect Christ in everything you do. That is the most important thing. We don't worry about our rights. We don't worry about our authority. We don't worry about anything. We worry about being Christ to the world because we are citizens of heaven, not of this world, right? And that's going to play out in this husband thing in a slightly different way, which is one of the biggest mistakes that people come up with as they approach this text. Um, historically, this passage has been used to downgrade women a lot, and it's just not accurate, right? Like, you can take this in English or in Latin and lose the Greek. And if you lose the Greek, you lose some of the big idea behind it. Um, Greek is a very complex and nuanced language, and, and if you abandon it, you can lose a great deal of what Peter is saying. So there's a lot of backstory, and we're going to dive into this. Um, I'm going to read the whole passage. We're doing one verse today, okay? And I am about 10 minutes in, which does not bode well for the fact that this is only one verse. <laughs> but we're going to see how we do with this. Okay, one verse. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. One verse, but we're going to do it in tiny little bits, okay? We'll see how we do with this. Everybody still with me? Everybody still awake? Um, likewise. Oh my gosh, he's starting with one word. <laughs> what does likewise tell us? Just like the sections before, right? Now, there are folks who've taken this likewise and said, oh, it means that um, the husband needs to do this, or the husband needs to do that. Um, but they missed the larger theme of the text. Um, the household code over and over and over again is about be Christ to the folks you deal with, right? Be Jesus in every situation, every conversation, every interaction, everything. So when you meet with folks, act like Christ. If you're an employee in a business, be Jesus in that business, you know, be, be reflecting of that. Um, I always tell my kids, and I'm sure some of y'all tell your kids this, or I've heard this from your parents once upon a time. When you go out in public, you are representing me. Don't act crazy, right? Um, I, I um, have encountered sports coaches, football coaches, and, and whatnot, who make their uh, players wear suits and ties everywhere they go because... You represent our team, and you look like you represent our team, right? Don't show up looking like a slob. Don't act like, a, like an idiot. Don't do this stuff. You represent us. And what Peter is saying over and over again, and he starts out with likewise to tell husbands, husbands, just like everyone else, you represent Jesus, right? You look like Jesus everywhere you go because it's going to reflect back on him. So likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, this is super loaded, and it's really easy to miss how. Um, live with the phrase there, that two words. Now, watch this. In Greek, this carried a whole lot of, like, significance. This is a reference to your marriage in total. So this is how you interact with your wife. This is how you interact with your wife in public. This is how you interact with your wife over money. This is how you interact with your wife in relation to the marriage bed. This is everything. Got it? Now, why does that matter? 
uh, because Peter is making it all-encompassing in a culture where husbands pretty much did whatever they wanted, right? Your wife, in fact, actually amongst early, uh, early Jews like the Pharisees, there was this big debate as to what was divorceable. And there, there was an argument, if your wife burns the toast in the morning, you can divorce her because you're, you're the man. You can do whatever you want, right? Because you are bigger, stronger, and have more authority, so you can do whatever you want. Obviously, that's nonsense. And actually, Christ goes out of his way to address that teaching to kind of throw it down. He says, listen, you can't do that. Don't treat your wives like this. And Christianity is unique in, in the first century in the way that it approached women. And this is an example of this. So husbands, in every aspect of your marriage, every aspect, um, deal with your wives in an understanding way. So live with, like carries this huge connotation, understanding way. The word understanding is gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, right? Gnosis. That's the American way of saying it. Gnosis, uh, and it is a reference to wisdom, okay? And so husbands, as you approach your wives, be wise. Now, wise is a big, ugly word, right? It doesn't seem that way because we don't understand it. Wise means to have knowledge that you put into action that is, like, tempered by your fear of God. That means husbands... Understand your marriage in light of the gospel and act like it's true. So husbands, um, look at your wife in harmony with how God calls you to live. Behave in a manner that reflects how you are called to live as a follower of Christ in this understanding way. Um, All right. There was a time in my marriage, a long time ago, like 15, 17 years ago when I was awful, before like God really shook me up and changed me, where if I wanted something and my wife disagreed, I discovered I could raise my voice, right? And I would get what I wanted, right? And I'm assuming I'm not the only man who's ever done this. Or I could, I mean, like, because I'm, because I'm a man, I can do what I want. And, and it, that would be the antithesis of what he's talking about here. Um, to live with your wife in an, a wise way, in a way in harmony with the teachings of Christ, means to be Jesus toward her. Um, by the way, this is a recurring theme in this, in this passage, in this section, because like every one of you, single, married, wives, husbands, Whoever, all of you, your calling is to be Christ. Your calling is to imitate Christ. That means if you have authority, which the husband has authority, right? He has to take that authority, and he has authority by merit of culture and by merit of being physically bigger, right? Um, For a long time, when it came down to deciding what cartoons Abby and Titus watched, Abby got to decide because she was bigger, and she could make Titus do what she wanted, Guess what? That's going to change here pretty quick. She's got another six months, and he's going to be bigger than her, and everything's going to be the way he wants it, assuming she hasn't trained him well enough to be afraid of her constantly, which might be the case. Um, (laughs) But the reality is 
that if we're going to follow Christ, we have to put that aside. Because, like Christ teaches his disciples, all right? So the disciples are arguing, who's going to be the greatest in heaven? And John says, it's going to be me. And Peter says, no, I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom. I'm going to be the best, you know, and I'm the most important disciples. Don't you guys know Jesus loves me more and I'm smarter than the rest of you jerks anyway? And, you know, and Matthew is a tax collector. He's going to be the least, I'm sure of it. And they're arguing and arguing. And Jesus steps in and he says, listen. You people are not like the Gentiles. You are not like the non-believers who use their power to lord over each other. And then he goes on to tell them, the greatest in the kingdom of God will be thee. Wow, that wasn't very enthusiastic. <laughs> the greatest in the kingdom of God will be the least. When actually Paul addresses this in Ephesians, he said, um, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. That means like serve her. Be humble in your relationship with her. Take care of her. Die for her. Like, like, cleanse her. Make her, like, closer to Jesus. Like, be this guy who, who um, imitates Christ. And when he says an understanding way, he's saying, listen, live with your wives in every aspect of your marriage. Imitate Christ. Show your wife what Jesus would look like by your actions, which is basically the same thing he tells wives to do. Like, win your husband over to the gospel without saying a word by showing him Jesus in how you live. Um, this works really well when both people do it. Right? Because when both people do it, there is a harmony that takes place. There is a cycle where everybody, like, imitates Christ and it creates this ideal version. Um, unfortunately, we sort of take turns, right, a lot of times. I'm going to be Jesus this month. Then you be Jesus next month because we go in cycles and we're like sinful by nature and our flesh screws with us and everything else. But like the bottom line of it is we're supposed to imitate Christ. Um, wow. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Almost there. Halfway point. Um, showing honor. The word showing there is uh, in Greek meaning portioning out like or paying out. This phrase, showing honor, um, isn't used anywhere else in the Bible. It's a standalone. But it's used by early Christian writers to refer to showing respect or deference or putting this person in a position where you treat them special, right? Like younger men to older men. In, Asia, in Eastern culture, that's a huge deal. You respected. Um, the idea here is like someone who's precious to you is how you're supposed to treat them, right? So, men, treat your wives like she is precious, right? Uh, Five-ish years ago, Dwayne Beerwagon let me drive his car to take my wife on an anniversary date. It's a 67 Mustang. And so we went on our anniversary, and I let my wife drive Dwayne's Mustang, right? And... We went to this place where we were painting pottery, and my wife was painting, and I hung out by the entrance and watched Dwayne's car. You know why? Because Dwayne's car is precious. <laughs> because Dwayne's car costs more than my house. Um, because this is a precious thing to him, and when you handle something that is precious, you take care of it. Um, as it refers to, to, to this setting, he's saying, listen, treat God's children Treat your wife as precious. Um, there's going to be a day I'm going to stand before God, and all of you are too, so don't think you're getting out of this. 
I'm going to stand before God, and like the fact of the matter is, I am raising children, I have a wife, and I'm going to come to account for whether or not I treated these people who Jesus poured out his blood for, like in a way that reflected the fact that Jesus poured out his blood for them. Right? If somebody watches my kids for me, Anne's going to watch my children next weekend, actually. And this isn't going to be an issue with Anne, right? But, like, if I come back and discover that the kids are covered in mud and that they haven't eaten in two days and they've been locked in a dog kennel or in the chicken coop, like, there's going to be a problem, right? Is that fair enough? Like, we would all be upset if we discovered that. Because my children should be treated appropriately. Um, When Peter commands us to show honor, he commands us to treat our wives in a way that reflects the fact that they deserve honor, that honor is due to them. Um, by the way, due to them is an appropriate phrasing. I saw that quite a bit in the, the early church fathers, this attitude of um, you owe them this honor. All right, to the woman as the weaker vessel. Woman and weaker are adjectives in this sentence. Isn't that crazy? Greek is such a weird language. Woman and weaker are adjectives. Vessel is the noun. They modify the word vessel. The idea here is, by the way, weaker is exclusively used in ancient world in reference to physical weakness. So your wife is physically smaller than you are. Don't mistreat her. That's fair, right? Don't treat your wife in a way that you can get away with because you're bigger and stronger and a man. Don't do it. As a person with authority, as a person with power, deal with the people around you in harmony with how Christ would have you treat them, which is kind of an interesting dynamic. For everybody else in this household code, he says, like, demonstrate Jesus through your submission. When it comes to men, he says, demonstrate Jesus by showing honor. Set your authority aside. Do not wield power over them. Treat them special. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Meaning, so Peter has this habit. He'll give a direction, then he'll give a reason. And his reason is that our heirs is often translated co-heirs. So like, your wife is spiritually equal to you. Your wife will go to heaven too. Your wife was saved by Christ the same way you were. Your wife is loved by God like at the level that she is loved by God. And so when you deal with her, understand she's in the same boat with you standing before the Father. Don't put her in a secondary position because there are folks who will read this. I read a couple of arguments um, like in different books where they would say, oh, well, weaker vessel means spiritually weak. And, of course, that's right after this passage where women are given this huge, difficult spiritual task to accomplish. Um, and then you'd say, oh, well, you know, heirs of grace. Well, we're going to ignore that part. In reality, women are not spiritually weaker. In fact, in a lot of ways, women are put in a position that is harder than men um, and unique, different from men. Um, but they're co-heirs. They are to be treated as God's children. Um, if the Queen of England came to my house, I would probably put the best china out. I might even go buy better china, right? Like <laughs> I probably would. Um, I might vacuum before she showed up. If one of her kids shows up, probably the same thing, right? 
If Jesus showed up at my house, I would act a certain way. If somebody who is an adopted child of Jesus shows up at my house, guess what? I'm going to treat them like they're an adopted child of Jesus. But it's easy to forget that. And here's why. Because you're married. Right? Because you spend all of this time with these people. And this is the case with your parents, with your siblings, with everybody you live with. It is easy to forget the fact that this is a person who was adopted by Christ, who Jesus died for, who you know, is saved by grace the same as you, uh, was dead in sin, is alive in Christ the whole nine yards. It's easy to forget that because they keep leaving their socks on the floor. Wives don't do that. Um, <laughs> but he's saying, listen, don't forget it. They are, they are children of God. All right, now here's the weird part. Unique to Peter's household code. We did government, we did slaves, we talked about wives, and now we get here. Peter ends his directions to men with a threat. He's the only one in this section that ends with a threat, right? That's significant. Why? Because wives and, and slaves and the government, these are people without as much power, Right? Or, I mean, people, sub, subjects to the government, they're people without power. In this instance, men have power, and it's very tempting to abuse it. And Peter ends, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Way back when I quit drinking and, and I was getting my life in order, um, the guy who kind of helped me through that process sat down with me and said, the first thing you have to do is you need to get right with your wife. Um, because guess what? If your wife and you aren't on the same page, God ain't listening to your prayers. Have a look at Peter. Yikes. Like, there are days when my, my children fight and one does something mean to the other, and then they'll come and ask me for something, and I'll say, yeah, you're being nasty right now, and you're acting wrong. I don't care what you're asking for, right? I ain't listening. <laughs> um. In reality, I can stand before God and I can pray all day long, but if I'm faking my faith because I'm mistreating the people around me, I can't expect that my heart is in a place where I'm going to be in harmony with what God is going to be doing, right? We've talked about this before. Prayer is most effective when you pray in harmony with God's will. It's like my daughter in the five-gallon bottle of water. Can she pick up a 50-gallon bottle of water? No. But she can ask me, and if I agree the bottle of water should move, I'll help, right? So it is with prayer. I can pray all day long, and if I'm praying my will, I'm going to get stuck. If I pray in harmony with God's will, God will do amazing things. And so if we create a condition in ourselves, husbands, where our heart and our mind are so hardened and broken that we can't see things in harmony with the way that God designed us to see him. We can ask all day long, but we're not going to ask for anything that God is going to do, right? God's will is that you do this. God's will is that you reflect Christ. If you can't reflect Christ toward your wife, if you can't reflect Christ toward folks who are weaker than you physically, who have less authority than you, and I think you could apply this to bosses. I mean, Bosses, as you deal with your employees, if you cannot treat them like Christ would treat them, your heart's wrong. And if your heart is wrong, and if you are spiritually broken in this position, God will not listen. Part of it's because you're not going to say anything worth hearing. So what do we do with all this? Well, um, 
Imitate Christ. Imitate Christ. And then when you're done doing that, imitate Christ some more. If you don't know what that means, sit down and flip Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Best, best part of the book of Matthew, in my opinion. It's all good. But where Christ says, this is how you treat the folks around you. This is how you treat people who are poor. This is how you treat people who are this. This is how you treat people who are that. Imitate Christ. Show what it means to be Christ toward these folks because this is what we're called to do. In positions where you're in authority, where you have power, imitate Christ. In positions where you're subject to, imitate Christ. When somebody punches you in the face, you imitate Christ. When somebody cuts you off in traffic, which doesn't happen here, it's probably a terrible example, imitate Christ. When somebody disagrees with you in a way that makes you want to like yell and cuss and carry on, imitate Christ, which means pray for them. It means find a way to, to serve them. It means be Jesus toward them. The boil down for Peter's whole household code is be like Jesus. Now, that is not a small task. Everybody with me? The most important thing of doing this, first off, is to know it. Because if you don't know what it means to imitate Christ, you can't do it. The second most important thing is to surround yourself with people who can call, who can call you out when you're faking it. How many of y'all have people like that in your lives who have permission to say you're wrong? I, uh, I, I'm blessed to have a handful of folks like that, but most people live lives that are so isolated. And so hidden from the folks around them that nobody ever, ever, ever can step into their presence and say, watching what you're doing, you're wrong. You need to get it right. Um, Most people hide their sin because it's a whole lot easier to hide sin than to show it to other people, right? But, like, if you want to imitate Christ, you have to be around folks who can say that. By the way, if you want to know husbands, if you want to know if you're doing this right, ask your wife. Don't look at yourself and say, I am really killing it as a husband. You know why? Because we always think we're killing it as a husband. <laughs> because we are completely unaware of the fact that we're not perfect. Ask your wife. And if your wife is too afraid to tell you, that's a sign. Right? Because if she's too afraid to tell you, then it means that you use your power in a way that is inappropriate. Ask the people who are in orbit around you because they're the ones who know you best. They're the ones who see you after the front door shuts. They're the ones who see you after you're tired at the end of the day of work. They're the ones who see you when you get up in the morning, when you're not feeling well or whatever, when you're not putting on a show. Ask those folks, do I look like Jesus? I don't. You're right. Thanks, Big D. Always appreciate the help. Um, but you know what? I look more like Jesus than I did a month ago. And I look more like Jesus than I did 10 years ago. And I look more like Jesus than I did 15 years ago. And I think I'm heading in the right direction. If you're heading in the right direction, that's the right thing. If you're not, turn around and go the right way. I'm going to close in prayer and I'm going to let you go. I did manage to go about long with one passage. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, be with us. I pray that you would help the men in the room, help us to be Christ to the folks around us. Actually, everyone in the room, help us to be Christ. Um, how, to, how to follow you um, is just given to us so perfectly by your son, Lord. And I pray that, 
that when folks meet us here, when folks encounter us, when folks have conversations with us or go to work with us or um, talk to us over the fence you know, on, a, on a Sunday afternoon, that they would walk away saying, man, I don't know what that guy has, but I want it. Um, help us to be Jesus in the world around us. And when we're not, like, help us to be, uh, help us to be humble and to confess and to repent and to turn around and head the other way, Lord. Um, our pride and our stubbornness sometimes get in the way of that. And, Lord, I pray that you would break that in us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Have a good morning, folks.